I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's God's word. You may be seated. You know, we say this phrase a lot. Some of you are wearing it on your t-shirts. Some of uh, us have just become very familiar with this idea. It's kind of a slogan or a mantra that you hear around Redemption Church. But the slogan is this, all of life is all for Jesus, right? You, you know it. You've heard it. You're ready. All of life is all for Jesus. Where does that come from? Right? Did we just sort of make that up because it's kind of catchy and because it's short enough to fit on a t-shirt? Or does that actually have some roots in the Bible? What actually does, and the passage that we just read, uh, really is, is kind of where you get this idea of all of life being all for Jesus. Now Romans 12, especially this beginning part, is a tr- key transitional moment in the book of Romans. This is actually, I think, our 48th sermon on the book of Romans. We've been here for a while, spent about 14 months or so going through this. And, uh, and Romans 12 begins kind of an application section or a, uh, a so what kind of section. I have a pastor friend, and, and one of the things he liked to do when he would preach a sermon is he would sort of tell all, here, here's what the Bible's saying, here's what, uh, here, here's what the text says, and then he would kind of lean on the pulpit or the table and he'd go, so what? So what? What difference does this make? Right? And Paul has been spending 11 chapters, 40-some messages, telling us all kinds of incredible things, and now we get to chapter 12 and can kind of go, so what? So what difference does this make? How is this supposed to reshape my life? And the answer that we're going to find in this passage today is in light of everything we've seen, we need to live a life of worship. That's how we respond. That's how we apply 11 chapters is we live a life of worship. This passage is going to unpack that a little bit. Worship is kind of a religious word. If you're not familiar with that idea, you'll get familiar as we talk about it, what what is meant here. So here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what worship is, how worship happens, what worship enables, and the fuel of worship. What worship is, how worship happens, what worship enables, and the fuel of of worship. So first, what worship is? Look at verse 1. Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now we'll talk more about what it means to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, but, but that is, Paul says here at the end of verse 1, that is your spiritual worship. Worship is the presenting of your bodies as a living sacrifice. It is your spiritual worship. Now, if you have the ESV version that you're reading from like I do, uh, next to spiritual worship, there's a little footnote, a textual note, and, and it says that it could also be translated, which is your rational service. Now, if you think about this, uh, spiritual worship and rational service, those don't sound like the same thing. How could it be translated either way, right? King James calls it rational service. A number of other translations call it your spiritual act of worship or something like that. Uh, What's being gotten at here is that the word spiritual could also be translated uh, reasonable or rational. It's the idea that in light of all of the mercies of God, the most natural, the most 
the, the most common sense thing to do would be to serve God, would be to present yourself as a living sacrifice to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. Now, the other thing that this indicates is that this, this presenting yourself as an offering to God is not meant to be literal. Okay, You are not to literally sacrifice yourself and die. That is not how you worship. Anyone relieved? Like, we don't have... Kool-Aid that we're going to pass out at the end of this thing just to make sure we apply this, right? This is a, it's talking about what's going on in your mind, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your thoughts. The most common sense thing you could do is to respond this way. This is, another way you could say it is this is true worship. What Paul's describing here is true worship. Well, what is true worship? Well, let's dig into that phrase. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies. The word present means to offer or to bring. This is sacrificial language. This is temple kind of language. The idea that you would bring a sheep or bring some doves to be sacrificed. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Make an offering. Make a presentation to God. But what does he say to present? He says to present our bodies. Why bodies? Well, what he's talking about here is your whole self, all of who you are. That's what's represented by the ideas of bodies. Not just present your mind, not just present your emotions, not just present your actions. Present all of yourselves, offer all of yourself, your entire body, as a living sacrifice. See, a lot of us think of our spiritual life kind of like a TV dinner. We sort of view it that, you know, I've got the, like, like the peas are like the worship part of my life, and the carrots are like the work part of my life, and the potatoes are like the family part of my life, and the Salisbury steak is like the, you know, what I do at my house. And, and as long as each of these compartments are sort of, you know, kind of in balance, it's all all right. And so, you know, yeah, I, I worship God on Sunday. It doesn't really affect my family much. It doesn't really affect my work a lot, but that's okay because I'm, my life's a TV dinner. What Paul's saying here is, no, it's not a TV dinner. Your life is a chicken pot pie. Right? The carrots and the peas and the chicken and the potatoes and the gravy, it's all mixed together. And it all is supposed to be brought together, all of it, all of your life before God as an offering. The other implication of bodies here that's pretty interesting is if you turn back, and you don't need to do this, but I'll just read it to you. In Romans 3, uh, Paul had talked about how our sin was full-bodied sin, full-bodied disobedience. In chapter 3, uh, verse 13, he said, their throat, notice all the body, all the parts of the body here he mentions, their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. There is no fear of God before their eyes, right? We are sinners to the core. We demonstrate that in full-bodied ways. And in view of God's mercy, what Paul is saying is now present your whole body, all of it, full-bodied sacrifice to the Lord. Full-bodied commitment. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, the word living there is a present tense word, which means you're to keep doing this. It's a, it's a continual sacrifice. It's, it, it's not a one-time thing. 
It's not a, a twice-a-year thing. It's not a weekly thing. It's an everyday, all the time, present yourself as an ongoing living sacrifice to God. Now, listen, for those of us who have been in church or who have read the book of Romans before, we, we hear this living sacrifice that doesn't strike us as anything other than, yeah, I've read that before. But if you were to talk about this, this way, to, to, to Paul's audience, people who were familiar with sacrifices and the sacrificial system, and they had seen animals brought and their throats slit and their blood splattered, this would strike them as really odd. Present yourself as a living sacrifice, where sacrifice could be killing, right? Present yourself as a living killing. Well, sacrifices die. What do you mean? A living killing. Well, what he's saying is true worship is presenting yourself before the Lord and on an ongoing basis with all of your life, every moment, dying to yourself. Sacrificing what you want, presenting it to God. It's all of life. That's what true worship is. Now listen, everybody worships. The question is not whether you worship. The question is who or what do you worship? Because all of us have things that we worship. All of us have things that we sacrifice for. All of us have things that we bow down to. All of us do, right? Think about the person who worships her career. And all kinds of sacrifices are made for that career. Or the man who worships his career. Or the person who worships his, his uh, kids. And all these different sacrifices are made in order to, to keep up the thing that that person really loves. We, we all do this. And what Paul is saying here is offer your entire self to God. It's a living sacrifice all the time. Now, this word worship is, uh, it, is, it can be confusing because a lot of times in our day, we think of worship being kind of this gathered moment. Or we think of it as singing, right? There's like a whole genre of music, worship music. And so it tends to, we tend, you know, we've, we've, we've seen, if you've been in church, you've seen a guy get up with a guitar and go, all right, who's ready to worship? Yeah! And it's like, no, 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 we're not worshiping, we're singing. Right? And there's a biblical word for that, which is praise. Let us praise the Lord. That's, that's what we're doing. We sing, we're praising God. But the word worship, especially in the Old Testament, that word means to bow down. It means to surrender. It means to submit yourself, right? So in the Psalms where it says, come, let us worship and bow down. What it literally is saying is, come, let us bow down and bow down. And it's wonderful to praise God. But to think about the act of singing and praising God, to embody all that this is describing, it's not the same thing. This is describing a full-bodied, all of life, all the time, submitting, bowing down before the Lord. So in the church, we tend to misunderstand this. The, the world also misunderstands it, right? The world is absolutely fine with uh, giving Christians and religious people freedom of worship. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're free to worship. Do what you want to do on Sunday. But they misunderstand worship because Christians go, well, freedom to worship is freedom to live all of my life all the time based on the convictions I have. No one goes, well, you can't do that. I mean, you can do what you want on Sunday, but when it comes to, like, your photography business and your cake business and the stuff you do at work and the things you say and don't say, hey, you don't have freedom there. You keep that religion stuff to yourself. You keep that worship stuff 
off to the side. But as Christians, we know I can't do that. That's not possible. Because real worship is all of it. We present our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, the, the problem, one uh, pastor has said, no one really knows who said this, but I think it's clever, is he says the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. Right? And they do. And we go, yes, I want to live for the Lord, but oh, I don't know. Yes, I want to do it. Oh, I don't know. I love this paraphrase of this verse by Eugene Peterson in uh, The Message. Here's what he says. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. And we read that, and we go, yes. If, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you go, yes, that's what I want. Yes, I want to live my life for God. I want to, I want to daily pray a prayer that says, God, I'm offering myself to you. I'm, I'm surrendering myself to you. But the problem with living sacrifices is they tend to crawl off the altar. So how does this kind of worship really happen? How does it come about? That's what I want to look at next. What worship is, living sacrifice, but how worship happens. Paul explains this in the beginning of verse 2. He says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So you go, I want to worship. I want to present my whole life to Jesus. I want to do that. How? How does it happen? Well, how worship happens is by not conforming to the world, but being transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, it really works out nicely in English that these words in English rhyme, right? Don't be conformed, be transformed. And that's a really helpful way to remember it. Uh, in, in the original language, it doesn't necessarily rhyme like that, but the contrast is still very evident. Here's what the word conformed means. Don't be conformed according to the pattern of the world. Conformed means to form according to a pattern or mold. And you can see there in the Greek word is where we get the idea, uh, the word schematic. A schematic is a mold. It's a blueprint. It's a plan. And Paul here is saying, don't be molded by the schematic of the world. The world is going to say, here's what matters, here's what's important, here's what you should care about. Don't be molded by that. Instead, be transformed. Be transformed. This word means very obviously and clearly and simply to be changed. And the Greek word is the word from where we get the idea of metamorphosis, to, to have a transformation, to have a total change. Paul says, don't be molded into this schematic of the world, but have a metamorphosis of your life and heart through the renewing of your mind. This word transformed is the same word that's used of Jesus when in the Gospels, when Jesus is transfigured and a few of his disciples are allowed for just a few moments to see his glory, to see who he really is. He's transfigured. He's transformed. And as we renew our minds, the scripture here in this verse says we will be transformed too. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. This means if we're going to be transformed, we've got to start thinking differently. Our attitudes, what we love, what we value, has to change. And as that changes, we change. Paul uses this same word in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and here's what he says there. 
He says, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, we're transformed as we behold the glory of Jesus. In Romans 12, he says, we're transformed as we renew our minds. Well, what is renewing your mind? It is fixing your eyes on Jesus. It is beholding Jesus. It is studying Jesus and going, I, I, don't, I, I get plenty of clarity on how the world thinks. What does Jesus think like? I want to follow that. This is how worship happens, is our minds, our hearts are transformed. So I want to just give you some basic ways to sort of understand and be able to compare and be able to ask. I'd love for you to begin to ask on a regular basis, am I being conformed right now to the schematic, the plan of the world, the mold, or am I being transformed more like Jesus? So I want to just look at a few different areas where I think all of us feel really tempted to conform and go, okay, what would it look like if we were to be transformed instead? So the first one is the area of complaining, right? Uh, something doesn't go our way. It's not the way we like it. We complain, right? Sometimes we complain to ourselves, kind of Elmer Fudd, and sometimes we complain out loud, and sometimes we uh, we tweet or Facebook our complaints, right? The, the internet provides all kinds of opportunities to complain about things, right? And complaining is kind of the language of our culture. And it can be funny, and it can be snarky, and it can be sarcastic, and it can make people laugh, but it's the pattern of the world is to complain. Things don't go the way I want. Wham! Right? I always quote to my kids that the part from the first Star Wars movie, you can imagine being called Luke Skywalker your whole life. I'm not a big Star Wars fan. But I like the part at the beginning of the first movie where it goes, but I wanted to go to Tashi Station and pick up some power converters, right? And so whenever our kids are whining, I just go, but I wanted to go to Tashi Station, right? It's like we, we just complain. Everything didn't go my way. I didn't like it. Service was too slow. The people weren't nice. It didn't meet my, you know, first world expectations. What's the alternative to that? What would it look like instead of conforming into that pattern what if we were to be transformed more like Jesus? What would that look like? Here's one thing it might look like. Silence. Didn't go the way I wanted. Okay. Why do, why do we need to say something? Why do we need to gripe? Can we just be quiet? I mean, I know that's crazy. Like, well, no, you've got to voice your opinion and speak out and we the people. And how about you just shut up? Yeah, it's not the way I wanted. Okay. That's one option. You know what's an even better option? Is gratitude. Thanking God. Doing what it says in James 1, where it says, Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds, knowing that these are shaping your character. Giving thanks to God, even for the stuff that isn't the way you like it. That would be transformational. That would be countercultural. That would be breaking the mold. And that would lead you to a life of worship. Yes, God, that's, this isn't the way I want it. This isn't the way I drew it up. But your will be done. Thank you. Don't you want to live that way? Another area where we struggle to conform is in comparing. Comparing ourselves to others. Comparing our jobs to others. Our bodies to others. Our looks to others. Our financial situation to others. Our kids. Our houses. Our life. 
our resources, all of it. We just compare, right? And that's the language of the world, right? You're not going to get out of that. The language ranks, right? This person's ahead of this person. This person's better looking than this person, right? Somewhere there's a 51st most beautiful person in the world, and they didn't make the list, right? That's just how the world works. But we get caught into that, don't we? Sucked in, and we'll well, they've got, and we do it to feel bad or we do it to feel good about ourselves, right? And, and we love to compare because there's always someone worse than us. Well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not like that guy, right? Can you just imagine, I mean, Hitler was like, it's not like I'm like Nero, <laughs> right? I mean, like everybody thinks they're better than someone, right? Comparing. It's the language of the world. Well, a, a transformed heart, a transformed mind goes, I'm going to focus on pleasing God. I live my life before an audience of one. He loves me. He gave himself for me. He's who I care about serving. What does he think? That's a new way of thinking. We conform in the area of money. It comes to money, what the world says and what we adopt we fit into its mold is that money is mine. It's for my happiness, right? We, we instantly revert to our two-year-old self. Mine. It's for me, right? And so because it's mine, and because I own it, I'm going to make as much of it as I can. I'm going to keep as much as I can, and I'm going to do it to make me happy. Okay, that's the way the world thinks. Christians are not to see it that way. We're to be transformed in our thinking about money. We see that money is God's, and we use it for His honor. We thank Him for it. We, we thank Him that He allows us to use so much of it for our happiness. We thank Him that He allows us to keep so much, but we don't keep it all because it's His. We give it to Him, and we spend it for His glory. It's a new way of thinking. We're also tempted to conform into the pattern of the world in terms of our expectations we want to be served, right? The conforming to the world says, serve me, right? We go into any situation and go, well, meet my needs, How, right? A lot of people do this and they come to church. I go to church, what are they going to do? Are they going to greet me? Are they going to say hi? Are they going to play a song I like? Are they going to have the temperature I want? Are they going to da 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 It's a consumer mentality, right? And I get this. We buy things. It's just, this is the air we breathe in the world, isn't it? And yet the church should be different. Right? Because our, our fundamental identity is not consumer, materialist. Our fundamental identity is servant. I'm a servant in Christ. Therefore, I don't walk into a room and go, how are they going to meet my needs? I walk in and go, how can I help? What can I do? How can I serve? And, and not only am I willing to serve, but I'm willing to be treated like a servant. Right? A lot of people will go, I'll serve if it'll help me. Well, that's not a servant's heart. And so we have a whole different perspective. Last area where I think we need to ask whether we're conforming or transforming has to do with technology. For the world, technology is about fueling pride. Look at what we can do. Look at what we can accomplish. Look at who I am, right? So much of social media is about sort of propping up the best parts of you, fueling your pride, medicating us, right? I can watch these movies. I can surf online. I can do all these things that are going to help me experience a virtual world because the real world with real relationships and real intimacy is too hard. And that's the pattern of the world. But Christians are called to have a, a new way of thinking 
the renewal of our minds would lead us to, to transform in the way we think about technology and go, okay, technology is, is a good gift of God. It can be used for evil, but I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to use it to bless people. I'm going to use it to build relationships rather than creating barriers between people. Now listen, I, I share all those. And everything on that conforming list, I am guilty of. And what God's Word is doing is it's saying, Luke, do you see it? Do you see it? See, so much of it, this is just the air we breathe. And what we need to start asking, what this passage is asking us to ask is to go, do I see it? Or if I just become so much like the world, I can't even tell. We're called to be new, transformed according to the renewal of our minds. If we are, here's the amazing thing. This enables something incredibly powerful. If you begin to have your mind renewed and begin to have your life be a life that's fully surrendered to Jesus, this passage also tells us what that kind of worship enables. Look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, here's what it, here's what it enables, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Did you get that? If you have a life surrendered to God, if you have a mind that is being renewed more after the mind of Christ, that enables something. It enables you to look at situations, to look at circumstances, and to test them to discern the will of God. You ever feel like, man, I, what does God want me to do here? I can go this way, I can go this way, I can go that way, I can go, what should I do? Where should I go? Should I continue this relationship? Should I not? Should I send my kids to this school or that school? Should I move closer to family or stay where I'm put? Right? All these decisions that we have to make all the time. What's God's will? We feel so confused. What this passage says is that the more your heart is yielded to Christ and the more your mind is renewed by Christ, the more you are able to discern the will of Christ. What does God want from me? Right, that's what that word testing to discern, it, it's used in the scriptures to talk about people evaluating oxen or evaluating the weather or evaluating the quality of gold. Right, we're able to look at life and evaluate it, test it, approve it. Go, yeah, that, that's what God wants. That, 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 that's part of God's will. And how do we know if it's God's will? Well, he tells us here what is good and acceptable, and perfect. If, if we think this way, we're able to see what's good. What, that, that's what God says is good. We're able to see what's acceptable. That means what pleases Him, what honors Him. We're able to see what's perfect. That means what meets God's standard. We're able to look at things and go, nope, that's not what God would have me do. That's out of line with what God says is good. That's out of line with what pleases Him. That's out of line with what meets His standard. Have you ever met someone that's followed the Lord for a long time and they're wise? And, and all these things happen and they just don't get frazzled like you do. They just don't get rattled like you do and they have perspective that you don't have and, and it just feels like they just ooze out wisdom. Do you know why that's the case? It's because they've lived a life of Romans 12, 1 and 2. They've had a life of being submitted to the Lord, having a renewed mind, and they're able to look around and go, yeah, this is what you should do. 
That's possible. Isn't that encouraging? You don't have to stumble through life with everything being a mystery. Now, this also doesn't mean that everything's going to be crystal clear and you're never going to struggle with decisions, or if you are struggling with a decision, that it means you're not really worshiping God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying as a general pattern, what will happen as your heart is submitted and your mind is renewed is you'll know what to do with your life. You'll know what God is calling you to do. That's what worship enables. Well, all of this has been a very high bar so far, right? This is not just devote your Sundays to Jesus. This is devote all of your life to Jesus. Think differently about all of your life, right? This is comprehensive. This is big. This is challenging. We can be all fired up right now, and yeah, I want to do it, but but how is this going to, how's it going to last? What kind of fuel is going to keep us going? That's what I want to look at last, is the fuel of worship. What What can fuel this kind of commitment, this kind of living sacrifice, surrender to God on an ongoing basis? What can fuel that? I'll tell you something that a lot of people turn to, to try to fuel obedience and surrender to God. A lot of what people turn to, what what they try to have as fuel, is fear. Right? Well, I better live this way, because if I don't, God's going to be mad. You know, I better, I better change my thinking on this because if I don't, bad stuff's going to happen to me, right? And, and the way that we know that that's how we think is because when bad stuff happens, a lot of times what it reveals is that we think, oh, God's mad at me. Or we get mad at God because we go, well, God, I held up my end of the bargain. Where were you? I did all this stuff. I met your standard. Come on, right? And so, so we use fear. Now, listen, fear is an amazingly powerful motivator which is why people use fear, right? It's why uh, coaches and teachers and people in authority often lord their authority over people that way because it's effective. But here's the thing. Fear has a short burn. It has a short burn because in the end, you resent the people that make you afraid. And so if we use fear as a motivation in order to get close to God, the reality is we're going to eventually resent God that we're getting close to. It's a short deal. It's a short-term thing, right? It's, it's like the, I love the marketers that want to convince us that, that a Snickers bar is good fuel, right? Snickers really satisfies, right? Listen, fear is like a spiritual Snickers. It, it, it's got a, a quick burst, but in the end you're going to go, yeah, my stomach doesn't feel great. We need a better fuel. We need a longer-lasting fuel. And this passage gives it to us. It's the mercies of God. If we want to sustain a life of surrender to God, it's the mercies of God. I love what Tim Keller says. He's a pastor in New York City. He says this, There's no way to sustain a pattern of holiness and Christian living without a kindling of our heart by deep meditation on the mercy and grace of God. If you're feeling like, you know what, I'm far from God. You know, I'm a a Christian, but I just, my relationship with him feels so distant. And I feel so like, man, when you describe that conformity to the world, that is just me. And 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 I used to be more in touch with him. What do I do? What you do is you remember the mercies of God. The word mercies there, it means compassion. 
It, here's a definition. It, it, it means a display of concern over another's misfortune. That's what mercy is. And, and, and get where he says this in, in chapter 12, verse 1. Look at what he says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God, in light of the mercies of God, in light of the compassion of God, present yourself. Right? He doesn't say, because God is going to get you, you better submit. He says, take a look. Look back. Therefore, look back at these 11 chapters of God moving near to your misfortune. Right? God is not like the person who sees you in, in hard times and goes, well, if there's anything I can do, let me know. No. God moves toward us. God comes toward us with compassion. Right? Jesus saw that the people were like a sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. Right? What are the mercies of God? Think about the mercies of God that we've seen in this book. The gospel is the power of God. I'm not ashamed of it, Paul said in Romans 1, because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In Romans 3, he said, all have fallen, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God but can be justified freely by His grace as a gift through what Jesus Christ has done. In Romans 5, he said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Right? He didn't say, hey, you know what, I'll wait till you clean this thing up and then I'll come in and help you out. No, he, while we were still sinners, that's mercy. That's moving toward our need. In chapter 6, he said, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In chapter 8, he said, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And he said, if God didn't even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him give us all things? In chapter 10, he said, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and he was raised from the dead, you will be saved because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, God is a God who has moved toward you in Jesus. He has been merciful to you in Jesus. He has met you where you, need, where you are in Jesus. How do you go, well, I need to devote myself to him? Just look at what he's done for you. You, you, you don't fuel it by going, well, man, that God's probably mad at me. No. You just need a fresh vision. This is the God who has given his all for you. Therefore, true worship is giving all of your life to the one who gave all of his life for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your abundant mercies. Thank you that while we were still 